Exodus 13 and verse 17 for our study this morning. Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall surely care, shall carry my bones from here with you. And then they set out from Sukkot and camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and in a pillar of fire by night to lead them, or to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. The cloud. The cloud. God led the people with this pillar of cloud. In the Northwest, we're awfully used to clouds, especially around this time of year. But more even so than the clouds, what I recognize is the fog. Don't you just love the fog? We spent the last five months living down on West Beach, and there were days where we were completely socked in. Whereas I sat in the house trying to study, there was nothing, I couldn't even look out the windows. If I looked, it was just that kind of gray stuff and no world out there. There were times I wondered if I was like in the twilight zone, if I'd just been transported in the house to some place where nothing existed because of the fog. It gets so thick and visibility can be so poor. And a lot of people get kind of depressed. In fact, we were talking with a friend of ours just last week who's actually going home to Texas for Christmas and cannot wait just to see some sunlight, as this person put it. Well, we know the sunlight does come in the Northwest, and it's beautiful, it's breathtaking when it does, but that fog can really get us down. The thing is, many people choose, they choose to live their lives in a fog. They would just as soon not know where they're going, not know what's going on, not have any idea of direction as no. They wonder why they can't see their way clear. They wonder why life is confusing, why it's hard to find their reason for being here. And what's truly weird to me is when Christians live their lives in a fog. When we don't know where we're headed. When we're confused about the leading of the Lord. And as I've said this before, man, the more I read His Word, the more I know that I know that I know God is not into the vague. He's not into serious, esoteric mysteries. He's not into keeping us at arm's length, letting us try to figure Him out, and being distant. God is personal. God leads and wants to lead our lives. He wants to lead us out of the fog. And the way He led Israel was not into a fog. He led them out by a cloud. Today, I want you to ask yourself and really think hard about this. Am I in a fog? Am I living my life in a fog? Or am I being led by the Lord? Let's pray and we'll get into it this morning. Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, 
We ask that you will, if any of us are in a fog this morning, lead us out. Clarify for us, Lord, the way that you would have us to go. Increase, Father, our trust and our faith in you. Knowing that it is your desire, your plan, your will to lead us and not to leave us guessing. Father, even as we pour over your word this morning, I pray that you will give us insight and clear thinking. Bring us out of the fog and into your glorious light. Help us to understand your love and your leading and how it is that you lead us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here in Exodus 13, we have the people of Israel heading out on their great adventure. And what an adventure it is. What an amazing thing. These people, you remember Jacob. Jacob, old Jacob and his family came down to Egypt because there was famine up in the promised land. And so they left the land of promise, the land where Jacob and Isaac before him and Abraham before him, the land where they had sojourned. And the whole thing had been promised to them by God, but they didn't really settle. They just sojourned all over the land, back and forth, constantly moving from here to there, until finally their sojourning led them down to Egypt, where they could be protected from the famine. Joseph, Jacob's son, he made sure that there was grain. He had been shown by God ahead of time through dreams, and understood that they needed to prepare. And so Egypt was the place to go get food, and down they went. Jacob 70. There were 70 people in that family when they went down there. Quite an entourage, but nothing near the entourage that would leave Egypt 430 years later. 430 years. 430 years of bondage, of slavery, and of settling. There's something I want you to understand as we look at this and think about the children of Israel. Oftentimes we look at the, at the lack of faith that they had, the lack of trust. How many problems they ran into in the wilderness. And we wonder why they had God with them. I'll tell you what I believe the problem was. They were 430 years settled. They were no longer sojourners. They had forgotten how to sojourn. And now they were a settled people. A settled people. It doesn't really take long to settle. Take that from me. My family has moved five times in the last year. It's a lot of moving. <laughs> and it's keeping us on our toes. But I'll tell you something. We've been five months down on West Beach, and we got settled. Five months. That's all it took. We're back up here in this house right here on the property, thanks to the graciousness of the Gilmore family. And we're already settled. It doesn't take long. We humans like to settle, especially you ladies, and, and not to be sexist or anything. Us men are just kind of dumb and wandering along. Anyway, you ladies like to nest. Cheryl gets in there and the house is a home and I'm still loading stuff. I'm walking in going, oh, it feels nice and homey. There are Christmas decorations in the house. She worked all weekend on it. If it had been me, I would have been lucky to find my underwear this morning. But she had it all where it needed to go. I did find it. (laughs) But the children of Israel were not there five months. They weren't there five years. They were there 430 years. But Egypt, Egypt was bad. Wouldn't they want to get out? Of course they would want to get out, but they were so settled. And isn't it human nature that even in a bad situation we tend to settle? We even have a phrase where we say, oh, you're settling for that. I'm going to settle for this. Oh, this is the best I can do, so I'll settle for it. God does not want you to settle. 
He wants you on your toes. Because there is always something better with the Father. Better than what you have right now. You may even be thinking in your life, oh, it can't possibly get any better than this. Like the beer commercials. And I think that's awfully sad. If that's the best you've got, a can of beer on a cool summer's night, have, you know, good luck. Enjoy yourself. It's not for me. God wants more. He does not want us to settle. And we can get rooted into a lifestyle, even a bad lifestyle, because we get familiar with it. It gets comfortable. And the proverbial elephant in the living room may be huge, but you know, the big fellow's kind of homey. Oh, he stinks. Yeah, the dysfunction in this family situation is bad, but you know, I'm used to it. At least I know the rules. I know at certain times who's going to blow up and who's going to go south, and I know what's going to happen in this family. And it may be bad and it may not be comfortable, but I'm settled with it. I've grown accustomed to it. Boy, Israel was in a dysfunctional situation if ever a people was. A people enslaved, forced to labor, living in Egypt 430 years. And that's why you will see many times as they try to journey in the wilderness, and why, by the way, I believe God keeps them in the wilderness for another 40 years, to break them of this settling nature, to break them of this desire to go back to the bad way, back to the way they were. I think God's Spirit wants to break us of that desire when we come to Christ as well. Not to want to go back. Oh, but it's familiar back there. My old friends, my old way of doing things. Yeah, I know it was wrong, but it was comfortable. I was used to it. And this spiritual stuff, this following God thing, I don't know what's happening. From one day to the next, God keeps changing directions on me and I've just got to follow. And that can get uncomfortable. And it was uncomfortable for the Jewish people. You know what's amazing? Later on, they would go into another captivity in Babylon. In 537 B.C., they would be in Babylon, 597. And after 70 years of captivity, slavery in Babylon, they get free. They're allowed to go back to Judea, to Jerusalem, to rebuild the city. And the vast majority of Jews stayed in Babylon. It was a minority that would go back. Isn't that amazing? You think, of course they want to go back. Yeah, get to the promised land. Let's go. But gang, when you settle, when you settle, it's hard to sojourn. And the Israelites were settlers, not sojourners, at least at this point. And that's exactly what sin does in our lives. Sin causes us to settle. We, we ease into it. We can become enslaved to it. And then we get comfortable with it. And the writer of Proverbs, chapter 5, verse 22 says, His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. Well, sin is more than just a bad thing that happens to you or someone else. It holds you. It doesn't want to let you go. It wants you to relax and settle and get calm. I've used this example before. I don't know if you ever saw the, the movie The Phantom Tollbooth. Years and years ago it came out, and there was a book, The Phantom Tollbooth. And there's a scene in it where the doldrums come out. The doldrums come up onto the car. This, this kid is trying to drive through and get to where he needs to be. And he just starts to get kind of tired and comfortable and peaceful and relaxed. And you see this goo start to surround his little car and come up over the car. And it's the doldrums and the music, you know, is slowing down. And you, even watching it is kind of hard because you get sleepy. That's what sin does. 
Sometimes sin is not sharp like a knife. Sometimes it's just dull and peaceful and sweet and soothing. And it causes you to settle. And when we settle into the slavery of sin, we end up entangled by it. Which, by the way, is why the Bible is so future-focused. Why God continually says, look ahead. Look forward to what is to come. Philippians 3.13, Paul says, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And do we do that as Christians? Or are we still thinking about what we did ten years ago? I just can't get that out of my mind. That sin was so bad, that lifestyle so wrong. And I know I'm saved by grace, but man, I, is that, what about that? And God's saying, forget it. Forget what lies behind. Press on to what is ahead. Well, back to the Israelites here. The Lord's thrown off the yoke of slavery. He's pulled them out. It's been a miraculous night. The Passover has happened. They celebrated this feast. And now, 603,000 men... Yeah, in women and children, you're more like three million people leave Egypt in martial array, which means they were prepared for battle, although God didn't lead them into battle because he knew where their hearts were. They may have had the protection and the preparation on the outside, but on the inside they were frightened children. So God leads them out. And I have to wonder if the inevitable question was asked. I'm sure it was. As they headed out, singing songs, pushing the donkeys, looking back at Egypt and the slavery, laughing, rejoicing, and maybe two hours, maybe three hours, four hours out, someone had to say, pardon me, excuse me, Mr. Moses, sir, where are we going? We're going to the promised land. Where, where's that? <laughs> How do we get there? Do you know where we're, does anybody really know where we're going here? Is anyone really sure where we're going? And I'm sure word began to spread as people went, yeah. Yeah, we got out of Egypt, but now we're in the wilderness. That's not so good. Where are we going? Does anyone really know? They wouldn't be the last to ask a question like that. People the world over have asked, does anybody really know where we're headed? Politicians today in the world are trying to figure out where we're really headed. They're perplexed. How do you fix the Middle East? Any ideas? How do you fix the constant problems around the world that keep emerging? How do you fix North Korea with their nukes? What do we do about all this? Who, does anyone know where we're going? What's this world going to look like in five years, ten years? Does anyone really know where we're going? Thomas asked that question. The night before Jesus was betrayed, or before he died, the night he was betrayed, he said, If I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be, John 14.3. We've read this verse over and over. We'll continue to. It's powerful. He says, You know the way where I'm going. And Thomas says, Excuse me, Mr. Jesus? Um, no, we don't. He said, Literally, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And we think, great, that's the answer. Jesus is the way. And we can sing songs about it and everything else, but when it really comes down to it, do you understand what that means? Jesus is the way. Okay, but where am I going? We're going to heaven. Good, but I'm talking about today. Jesus is the way. I don't understand. I know I'm supposed to go after Jesus, pursue Him, follow Him. Jesus is the way, but where am I going? I want to know. The Lord puts a great cloud before us. 
He gives us a promise of leading and a way, I believe, that we can know which way the Lord wants us to go. If you're taking notes, I'll have you jot down three questions this morning. Questions that we can ask to see where we are. Direction finders. A way of checking our compass to know the leading of the Lord. To understand which way we're going. And the first question is this. Am I covered? Am I covered? Where I stand in my life right now, in my relationship with Jesus, with the Lord, am I covered? Verse 21 again tells us in Exodus 13, The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. And he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night, and uh, from, from before the people. Now, as a kid, I saw the flannel graphs. I went to Sunday school. I saw the cartoon school handouts. This great column of cloud, kind of like a big cloud. It looked like a um, what's cotton candy. That's what it looked like. Big cotton candy leading the children of Israel. And that got into my mind and it stuck. And I think it's what many of us think of when we think of the pillar of cloud. Always out front, always leading, always just this cotton candy pillar rolling ahead. That may not be the case. This word pillar here is the Hebrew word amud, which can mean a column, but also means a platform. A platform. By the way, the root word from amud is amad, which means to dwell, which is exactly what God was doing with the children of Israel in a powerful way, dwelling with them. But anyway, he, he says that the, the, the pillar of cloud led them by day, and I have come to personally believe that the pillar was not a cotton candy stand. It wasn't necessarily a pillar as we see it translated as much as it was a platform. A wide range of cloud. Why would you say that, Rick? Well, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. So listen to these verses. Psalm 105:37. Then he brought them out with silver and gold, and among his tribes there was not one who stumbled. We talked about that Wednesday night. This was right after the Passover. And not one person stumbled or was feeble. Everybody in Israel, this three million people, were strong and walking tall and feeling good and healthy. And so not one stumbled. Verse 38 of Psalm 105 says, Egypt was glad when they departed, yeah, I bet. For the dread of them had fallen upon them. Verse 39, He spread a cloud for a covering. Doesn't sound like a pillar, does it? He spread a cloud for a covering and a fire to illumine by night. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Paul wrote, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud. They were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Paul gives this picture of a cloud that wasn't just out ahead of them, wasn't just a spire, but it covered them. It protected them. It, in some cases, as we'll see when we get on into chapter 14, in some cases it encompassed them. It stood as a wall between them and the advancing army of Egypt that will attack later. A cloud that covered them. And they were all under it. A security blanket of protection above and around Israel. Now this cloud would have been incredibly important for three million people traveling out into the Sinai wilderness. Why? Because the temperatures, I'm told, get up to 125 degrees out in that desert. Three million people wandering, 125 degrees. What would protect them from the burning heat of the sun? But Israel had it made in the shade. 
They were covered. They were covered by the cloud. The Lord created this atmosphere of total dependence for their covering. And think about how God then would lead them. When He wanted them to move, He would just lift up and begin going forward. Pack it up! Cloud's moving! People in the back are getting hot! Come on, let's go! God's saying, stay with me or you're going to end up a little hot under the collar. And when He wanted them to stop, the cloud would stop. And if they kept going, God would say, hey, slow down, you're going to get burned. Stay under the cloud. I am your covering, your protection. And the question is, am I covered? Or am I lagging behind? Or am I getting ahead of God? Am I covered? Am I walking within His will? Doing what He wants me to do? Well, great. How do I know if I'm walking in God's will? You'll know. I promise you, you'll know. You will know when you start to sweat. Flip in your Bibles to Ezekiel 44. Look at Ezekiel 44, about midway through your Bibles. A little past, maybe. Ran across this last week, and it's just it's very interesting to me. Beginning in verse 15 of Ezekiel 44, talking about the ordinances for the Levitical priesthood, what the Levites had to do, how they had to act, how they had to behave when they were working in the tabernacle, and specifically what they had to wear. Listen to this, verse 15. The Levitical priests, the sons of Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary when the sons of Israel went astray from me, shall come near to me to minister to me. And they shall stand before me to offer me the fat and the blood, declares the Lord God. We're talking about sacrifices there. Verse 16, they shall enter my sanctuary, they shall come near to my table to minister to me and keep my charge. It shall be that when they enter at the gates of the inner court, they shall be clothed with linen garments. And wool shall not be on them while they are ministering in the gates of the inner court and in the house. Linen turbans shall be on their heads, and linen undergarments shall be on their loins, and they shall not gird themselves with anything which makes them sweat. There you go. The work of a priest does not cause sweat. Apparently God doesn't really like sweat. Doesn't really want sweat. Doesn't want a bunch of priests working in the tabernacle, stinking up the place, sweating and working hard, and oh, that's difficult. And listen to this picture here. Look at this picture. We know when we're outside of the will of the Lord when we start to sweat. We know as His servants that we are not serving well when we're working hard. Those who are serving me, God says, are not to sweat. And it's when we get out from under the covering of God that we begin to sweat. Our work becomes the issue. Our programs, our successes, the bottom line, that's what matters. And if we begin to go that direction, life gets hard. We get stressed out and the beads of perspiration begin to appear on our forehead and we start to sweat. Am I covered? Or am I out there doing my thing? Okay, when it heats up, all we end up doing is putting out fires. We end up working so hard, we're tired, we're exhausted. If you truly desire to know the way that the Lord is leading you in your life, ask yourself, am I covered? Am I covered? Is my life following difficult or demanding or depressing or just plain hard? Or is it cool? Am I cool? <laughs> Jesus said, Matthew 11.30, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That doesn't sound like a sweaty proposition. 
I'm working so hard for the Lord this week. I'm telling you. I had to work it ever. I'm up early, up late at night. I don't know when this is going to stop, but praise the Lord. We're so far off. We have gotten out from under the cloud when following Jesus becomes hard. It wasn't supposed to. My burden is light, Jesus said. Well, okay, so how do I remain under his covering? Because I don't want to get out from under it. I don't want life to be hard. How do I do that? Mark and Susan Harris were over last night. We were talking about this. Mark is now working down in the Tacoma area at a hospital down there. And he's about, what, three minutes from the hospital. So his commute time is just, whoop, he's right there. When they were living up here, he was in Anacortes driving all the way down to Whitby Hospital and had a long commute, half hour, 40 minutes sometimes. Driving down there on his way to work and coming back, he always listened to uh, Calvary Satellite Network. So on the way there, he listened to Chuck Smith, guys like Alistair Bay, John Corson, and on the way home, same thing. And Susan was saying, it's amazing the difference, because he would come home and he'd just, it'd be good. Now when he comes home, he's just, you know, like, you know, she didn't exactly say that. And the counseling went well last night. I want you to know, I think there's... <laughs> think there's hope for them. But what an amazing thing. To be in the will of the Lord, walking with the Lord, requires something of us to know that we stay under that covering. What is it? It's the Word. The Word will help you. Listen to this. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 1. My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live. And my teaching is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Gang, hang on his words. On his every words. Treasure his teachings. Make his desires the apple of your eye. St. Augustine was once asked by a group of kids, a group of students actually, came to him and they said, how do we go about doing the will of God in our lives? Augustine's response, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength and then do as you please. Let that sink in. That's powerful. You love God with everything that you are. And then do as you please, because what you please will please the Lord. When you're in His Word, when you're passionately following after Him, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Why would God give me the desires of my heart? Because as I delight myself in the Lord, my desires become His. And I am in His will, and I am covered. And if you find in your life right now that you're saying, Lord, I just can't take the heat, God would say, no sweat. I got you covered. Second question. Am I in good company? Am I in good company? When Israel headed out of Egypt, again, everything looked good. It was exciting. All these people moving out, the great host in martial array. But there was not a slight, well, there was a, a slight problem, a little problem, something that no one really thought about or recognized until later. Exodus chapter 12, and if you want to flip back to chapter 13, you can look back a chapter behind that. Exodus chapter 12, verse 37. Exodus 12, 37 tells us that the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot, aside from children. Verse 38, watch this, don't miss this, a mixed multitude also went up with them. A mixed multitude, not the sons of Israel. A mixed multitude. The phrase is Ereb Rab. Multitude there is Rab, and later they would be called a Rabble. A rabble. Troublemakers. Problematic. Numbers chapter 11. You can flip there or I will read it to you. 
But Numbers chapter 11 and verse 1 says, Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. They had gotten outside from under the cloud. (laughs) And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. And the people therefore cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died out. So the name of that place was called Taberah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Verse 4, the rabble who were among them had greedy desires. And also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt, and the cucumbers, and the melons, and the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic. Kind of stinks. And now our appetite is gone. There's nothing at all to look at except this manna. How long did it take for the manna, which was a miracle, to become mundane? How long did that take for the people of Israel? Can you imagine waking up in the morning and your bread is scattered across the ground? And you go and you pick it up and you make bread and cakes and things with it and it's sweet and it's all the nourishment that you need? Wow, what a miracle! How many days do you think it took? Three, four, five days before they started going, that's that bread again. Better gather that up for another loaf of bread. Getting a little tired of this, Lord. And they begin to whine and complain, but right at the center of it, in the middle of it, was the rabble. The rabble. The rabble. Israel's problem wasn't their dinner, it was their company. It was the people who had come with them to dinner. 1 Corinthians 15.33 And listen close. You've heard part of this verse before. Listen to the context. Do not be deceived, Paul says. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. And then he says, For some have no knowledge of God. Some have no knowledge of God. There is a name for people who have no knowledge of God. Bad company. Now you're thinking, okay, Rick, it's not really fair. I know some very nice people, some very good people who don't have any knowledge of God. And I will say it again. There is a name for people who have no knowledge of God. Bad company. I'm not saying they're bad people. They may be very good people. They may be some of the best people. But if they have no knowledge of God, guess where their advice is going to lead you? Away from God. Out from under His covering. Am I in good company? Who do I hang with? You know, we talk about this with our teenagers all the time. Well, it's peer pressure. And then we go out and we hang out as adults with people who are bad company. And our kids look at us and go, I saw the guy you guys were out with the other night. That's your company? They're smarter than we think they are, adults. They know. Am I in good company? One surefire way to know whether I am walking in the leading of the Lord, whether I am following that cloud, whether I am covered, is the very company we keep. And again, you might say, well, that's well and good for you, Pastor, but I have to live and work in the real world. <laughs> I deal with real people. You know, I'm not like you and the church people and all that. It's real easy for you. But I deal with real flesh and blood. You want to know what the secret is of living in the real world? Surround yourself with a great cloud a great cloud of witnesses surround yourself with people who hold the testimony of God surround yourself with people who when you ask man I'm not sure which way to go they will say well the cloud's here let's go this way 
Follow the Lord. Those who are going to encourage you to be in the Word. Those who are going to encourage you to be in prayer. A great cloud of witnesses. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's your choice. It's your free will. You can decide who you want to hang with. Bad company or this great cloud of witnesses. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that when the Hebrew writer in chapter 12 is talking about the great cloud of witnesses, he's not talking about your fellow Christian buddies. Because he's just spent chapter 11 talking about people like Abraham and Enoch and Moses and Sarah. And he says, this is the great cloud of witnesses and we are surrounded by them. And it's not a spooky spiritual thing. Listen, wouldn't it be cool to spend a day in the company of Moses? I mean, if I could get Moses here next Sunday, would you come to hear him speak? Wouldn't it be great if we could have a conversation, just a one-on-one with Daniel? Or how about dinner out with Elijah some night? Who among us wouldn't want to just sit and talk with Peter for a while? Man, Peter, you blew it so much, but I blow it more than you do. How'd you get through that? How'd you like to talk with Paul or just sit at John's feet and listen to him talk about Jesus? Wouldn't that be great? You can do it. You can do that any moment of the day. What you hold in your hands is the collective spirit-breathed wisdom of the great cloud of witnesses. Right here. I'm not sure how to handle life, Peter. How would you do it? Let's see, how did Peter handle that situation? Moses, how do you deal with whiners and complainers, the parent might ask? Oh, he's got a lot of experience with that. Go check him out. It's a great company. A great cloud of witnesses. There's another cloud, by the way. A great cloud of witnesses that I want to be a part of. Revelation 1.7 says, Behold, He's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over Him, so it is to be. Amen. Matthew 24.30, Jesus said, The sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Listen. Personally, I think these clouds are more than just nimbus, nimbus or cumulus. I actually wrote these down. Nimbus or cumulus or cirrus or stratus. Four types of clouds. Thank you very much. And I appreciate that, Corey, for letting me know those work. I think it's more than that. More than just the hazy stuff that we see in the sky. The great clouds that the Son of Man comes on and comes with, I believe, is the cloud of saints. And angels joining him at his return. That will be awesome. And I want to be in that cloud. I want to walk in that cloud. Zechariah 14 verse 5. The Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Holy ones. The word is hagias. It means saints. It's you and I. It's anyone who is caught up to be with the Lord. Those who are with him now. The saints. The holy ones. Jude 14 tells us. Behold the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones. Again hagias. Saints. I want to be in that cloud. A great cloud of witnesses. Am I in good company? Who are you hanging with? Who are you walking with? Do you want to stay under the cloud? Do you want to know the leading of the Lord? What's the company that you choose to keep? Well, last one. 
Because we know of the great cloud of God's covering and the great cloud of witnesses. One last question. One last cloud. Question number three. Am I conforming? Am I conforming? We watch, you know, the communion meditations every week. I don't think there has been a single week during communion time when I haven't been incredibly moved by what whoever has come up here has had to say. And isn't it interesting that that how often someone comes up and starts to speak and can't. How moved we are. How powerful it is. Harlan this morning talked about what God is doing in him. Recognized. Opened up his heart before us to say this is where I am right now. Understanding the redemption. Gang. Harlan explained, showed us a piece of his conforming this morning. And it was a blessing. And thank you for sharing that. Am I conforming? Am I becoming like Jesus? Am I walking in that direction? Is my life more and more a reflection of His? Listen, the cloud in Scripture, throughout the Bible, the cloud always speaks of God's glory. It's always amazing, an amazing picture of glory. Second Chronicles chapter 5, verse 13 says, Then the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. This was at the dedication of the temple that Solomon had built. And in that moment as they were dedicating the temple, it was so filled with God's glory, the priests had to get out. They couldn't even do their job. It was awesome. The cloud. The cloud. And Jesus reminds us, Luke 21, 27, they will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. But on a seemingly normal day, Peter and James and John experienced a cloud of glory they would never forget. And you've heard the story probably many times. Jesus said, boys, let's head up the mountain. We need some prayer time. A little devotional. So Peter, James, John, Jesus, they head up the mountain and something happened that blew their minds. As they stayed back and Jesus went a little bit further up to pray, they watched and suddenly the Bible described how he was transfigured. How he became like lightning, his clothes as white as snow. They could hardly even look at him. And then, amazingly, they saw Elijah and Moses talking to him. They recognized them. By the way, just this last weekend I was asked the question, how do we know that we're going to recognize each other in heaven? It's a big question that Hayden's been asking. Will I know that you're there? Dad, Mom, will I be able to recognize you? Hey, Peter, James, and John, though they had never even met Moses and Elijah, recognized them. We're going to know each other. We will recognize each other and see each other. But in that moment, amazing, awesome, the glory of Jesus in His pre-resurrected, glorified state, for that moment, they saw the coming of the glory of the Lord. Peter, James, and John. And Peter steps out, and you know what he did? Lord, it's so good to be here. And we need to build a little little tabernacle for Elijah and for Moses and one for you. We can kind of worship all three of you. And a cloud appeared cloud in the sky a great cloud and the voice booms out of the cloud and I can imagine when the voice boomed that Peter was face down when the voice said this is my son listen to him and Moses is a great man Elijah greatest prophets of Israel in fact the two of them together were the two greatest prophets Israel had ever known And God says, look at these three men. And you listen to my son. Listen to him. Listen to him. You want to know if you're under the cloud? Keeping a great company? Following the lead of the Lord? Then you listen to him. 
Why should I listen to him? Because he's the only way. He is the only way. Gang, if you're socked in, if you're walking in a fog, listen to me. God's will is not hard to figure out. It's not half as hard as we make it out to be. Again, it's not nebulous. It's not like fog. It is clear. Especially if you walk under the cloud of His covering, the cloud of witnesses, and you're conforming to His Son in the cloud. The cloud. By the way, Exodus 13.22 again says, He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. He did not take it away. He did not leave them wandering. Even while they wandered for 40 years, He was with them, and He went before them. And you might say, well, yeah, Rick, what about the fire? We talked about the cloud, but what about the fire? We'll talk about that Wednesday night. And you're going to want to hear that one. Well, Isaiah 44.22, last verse. I want to encourage you, each of you, to get under the cloud. If you've gotten out from under the cloud, you're out ahead of God, you're doing your own thing, and, and you're just hoping God will catch up, you need to come back and get under the cloud of His covering. If you're holding back, you're kind of lollygagging behind. You're outside of the, of the family, and you see the cloud, but you're just not a part of what's going on. Come under the cloud. Get under the cloud, because God says, Isaiah 44:22, I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud, and your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. I have redeemed you. Father, we are a people like Israel who need to be led. Who need to be taught how not to settle for the things of this life. Not to settle for just living now. Like Paul, Father, we want to press on. We want to reach for the things ahead. We want to see your coming. And we want to strive to be with you. We want to walk in your will. Lord Jesus, I pray this for this whole group of people here this morning. That we, each one individually, would stay under the cloud of your covering, the cloud of your glory. And we would not act outside of that, but we would act in your will. Help us to treasure your words, to seek your spirit, to be led by you, Father. And Father, I pray this for the church here, for the Bridge Christian Fellowship, that Lord, you will continue to lead us. You have done such amazing things in such a short amount of time. And we are blessed by that, but it is not over, it is not time for us to settle, and we know that. Keep leading us, Father, and give us vision and and understanding and clarity as we seek to follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen.